Look, we all know things just don't feel right. We see it everywhere. Out of control inflation across all sectors of the economy. We see civil unrest, wars abroad, the degrading of our institutions, immorality masquerading as civil rights, and the list goes on and on. The next two weeks, I have a couple of guests on the podcast to try and help us make sense of what's really going on. This episode, I have on Ben McClintock. Many will recognize Ben as being the co-founder and former face of Defending Utah. He has since moved on to start the Tree of Liberty Society, which seeks to have an impact nationally. Ben has strong roots in the Liberty Movement. He is the founder as well as membership coordinator and investigative reporter for the Tree of Liberty Society. Ben has been featured on USA Today, Fox News, and many other regional newspapers throughout the West. So stick around for this fascinating and enlightening conversation with Ben McClintock on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me, and it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation, or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. We got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups, we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com, so go check that out. Today on the podcast, I am just super excited. Um, I have on a guest who I followed certainly since I moved to Utah and probably a little bit before that, just because living in Idaho, you're, you're kind of part of that Mormon corridor, if you will, right? You follow 15 on up from Utah, and then you hit 84, and 
and you know temples just kind of dot the land so to speak through that area and and he's ben mcclintock and ben has been involved with um defending utah for how long now ben well i was with defending utah for nine years and now we've with tree of liberty society nice nice so ben real quick did you grow up in utah I did not. I grew up in uh, Northern California in some farmland. I not in the big cities, but uh, Northern California. I actually served my mission in Idaho, so uh, that's kind of cool that you're from there and I served my mission in Idaho. Yeah, what part of Idaho? It was the Pocatello Mission, but I served most of it in Rexburg and the Teton Valley. Okay, all right, right on. Most of my time was spent on the the western side of the state, over by okay. Nampa, Boise, Caldwell, that area. Gotcha. So, but so. What what brought you to Utah? Did you move with your folks or? No, I, I we've I've only been in Utah for just over a decade. Okay. And um, just oh yeah, twelve thirteen years now, and um, I just for work. Okay. All right. What'd you think when you first moved to Utah? <laughs> I I lived in Arizona for a while, and it was, it was a lot. Arizona and Utah, at least, you know, culturally speaking, are, are pretty similar, kind of like Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd kind of gotten used to that difference because I'd, I'd lived in the Northwest as well. I'd, I grew up in California, moved up um, as an right after, soon after um, my second child was born in 2003 up to Washington State and uh, lived up there for four or five years. And, um, and so California and Washington culturally in, in the in the church at least are is really b- very similar mm-hmm. and then you move to arizona and utah and it's kind of it's a it's a different culture for sure and um so it was it was very um you, you go from there's not enough people to do callings to there's too many people <laughs> and so now i gotta make up callings yep so uh, me and my wife for for a time for a couple of years, we moved out to the eastern shore of Maryland, mm. and I remember our stake boundaries went from like literally the the very tip of the of this peninsula called the Delmarva Peninsula, where there was part of Virginia, Maryland, and then Delaware, and our our stake went clear, took in all of Delaware, took in a Your large stake. portion of of Maryland. <laughs> Uh, they had to do state conference like two weekends in a row, right? Because they would do it in, in certain spots and just trying to yeah. make travel easier. And I remember, um, yeah, my home teaching route was literally, it was like literally, I was looking at it one day on Google Earth, and it was like a 75-mile radius, right, wow. from my home teaching. I never and had from, that. <laughs> and then from there, we moved, um, we moved back to Idaho. We moved to Meridian, which is – just yeah. as about as Utah as you can get without right. being in Utah. And I remember thinking my ward is like my neighborhood. Right. And it was yeah. such a, it was such a, a shift. Right. And and, there was a ward that I served on my mission. That was literally like two blocks. Like it was ever, there were, there were only two non-members in the ward boundaries. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, you know, it's funny when, when we moved to Utah, I fought moving to Utah for years. I mean, years. I was like, not going to do it. I love the gospel, but Mormons drive me nuts sometimes. And <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do it. And uh, when I got here, I kind of fell in love with it. Right. I, yeah. in a weird sort of way, I can't explain it. I just kind of did. And uh, 
one of the things I always paid attention to was the work you were doing with defending Utah. Cause I felt like, I felt like it was important work and, and we'll get into that a little later on, on why I felt that way. But what yeah. was it that, that brought you into this line of work? I mean, yeah. nobody ever starts out like saying, Hey, I'm going to go out and defend people's Liberty. You know, when you're eight <laughs> years old, right. I mean, what, yeah. what was it that attracted you to it? Sure. So, you know, I don't think of it as politics, right? But it's kind of, you get introduced to it through politics. Um, right. I'd grown up very, very involved. My, I was like five years old, volunteering with my dad at the Republican Party booth at the county fair and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, even as a teenager, same thing. And then um, it, uh, it, about two weeks together, time, time frame, my father dies and we ha I have my first child. And so like my whole like, oh, my goodness, you know, the whole world changes. Somebody's dependent upon me and I don't have somebody there that's really kind of like to kind of direct it and, and whatnot. And so I, I was like, OK, I've got to I've got to figure this out. And so, you know, I'd always been a believer in the gospel. And and it came to a point where I was like, OK, well, it's not just for Sundays. How does the gospel apply to every part of my life? And. And I got my dad's library, and in his in his library, he had books like um, The Naked Capitalist by Cleon Skousen, nice. God Found the Country. Um, when I went to college at Ricks, I had read, um, what's it called, uh, An Enemy Hath Done This by Ezra Taft Benson. And so I'd gotten that introduction, you know, back then in, in college. But then at this point, it really kind of, I, I just like, okay, you know, this is the stuff that, that liberty, agency, the thing that got us a body in the first place is what the gospel is all about on the day-to-day -day. not just going to church read my scriptures saying my prayers you know and so um i wanted to know how to, what do i do about it? is there something to be done about this because if not i will go back to sleep and be in my blissful <laughs> ignorance and uh just go about my life but but the more i read the scriptures and the more i read um the words of the prophets the more i realized that no there something had to be done and so I I I, uh, I read a talk and actually I, I watched the talk a talk by Benson called Stand Up for Freedom where he was uh, he said that the most effective non church organization in the fight for freedom was the John Birch Society. So for me at that time being really you know I was like okay politics you know single issue organizations but because they recognized that there was a conspiracy a secret combination that we were fighting that's you know that was a whole different level that uh, of, of you know importance. And so I became a volunteer. In fact, I came on staff. I worked for them for over a decade. I directed all of the activities for the John Birch Society for over 10 years. Wow. In the, in the Western United States. Real, real quick, can I ask yeah. you a quick question? You yeah. talk about seeing stuff going wrong, right? And, and yeah, you, yeah. you're like, I got to do something. What were you seeing that was really bothering you? Yeah, because like, you know, nowadays it's more obvious, right? So what? what was someone thinking about in the year 2000? That was horrible. Things were perfect back then. <laughs> and so it, you, you had the Patriot Act that was, you know, beginning. And I was like, you know, I, in my, in my awakening, you know, I'm, I, I hate the idea of being awake. I don't consider myself awake. I'm awakening. So in the beginning of my awakening, because we should always be learning and waking up to things that we don't know. Um, I was like, I, I thought that the Republicans were good. And I was like, Okay, George W. Bush wouldn't do X with the Patriot Act, but I don't want to give the president that power because what if another Bill Clinton came in? And so I want—I just want to be principled. I was like, we can't let our guy do it, even though he's good. 
um, because a bad guy is going to get in there. And so I was like, we got to stop that. And, and then um, uh, the schools were just getting just, you know, even mm-hmm. back then were really bad. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in the, in the school system um, with, especially in, in California where they were, um, they were showing every single sex act every single one to kids and <laughs> under the guise of um fighting uh child abuse and so they're like if somebody does this to you and like they, they show them the act that's abuse and so it was just like over the top ridiculous and um and, and so you know we had attacks on property rights a, a lot of the things that we're seeing now on steroids were were going on then they've been going on for you know 100 200 years you know since at least the 1840s 1830s and so they're just progressively getting worse all the time. And when we, when an individual wakes up, they feel like, oh, that's when it's really bad. But you know, it's it's been really bad for a long time. You know, I remember when I had my awakening to, to kind of the the divinity, if you will, of the Constitution, our yeah. founding documents, and certainly our our founding our you know founding fathers' role in that. Mm-hmm. And it was over the silliest thing. So this is about 2004, right? And as I yeah. look back, and I think most people are this way, you can really trace your life back through a series of deflection points, right? Yeah. One of those came for me when me and a buddy went to Philadelphia for a football game. Now, I'm a huge Green Bay Packer fan, and he was a huge Philly fan, and they played in the playoffs, and we're like, I wonder if they play next year. And sure enough, they played on a Monday night. So okayed it. Me and him flew out, and we uh, we thought we'll we'll go out a couple days early, and we'll just kind of see the sight, see the Liberty Bell, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I I remember I walked into Independence Hall, and when I'm in there and I see the chairs lined up, just like you see in all the paintings, and right there, you know, I, I remember the the guy saying, "Right there is where Washington sat." to preside over it mm-hmm. and i get goosebumps to this day thinking about it because the hairs on my arm stood up and the spirit manifested and said something yeah. important happened right here and you need yeah. to know what happened right here now i've always been a fan of history but not so much the colonial era right it was gotcha. it was more like civil war it was more ancient history western civ that sort of things so all of a sudden I start diving into books, right? And I start diving into everything I can get my hands on. At first, I'm disappointed because it's just a bunch of scholars saying what they think they meant. Right. Well, then I discover Madison's notes, right? And I start yeah. looking at that and I see the original arguments going back and forth. And you're right. There, anyone who gets to that point, they, they feel like, oh, crap. Because all of a sudden, it, it's like we're way off course. We have, we have, we have done yeah. missed the exit, right? Where we don't know where we're at. And so in, in listening to how you explained it, you know, just kind of waking up to it, 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 it resonated with me quite a yeah. bit. Yeah. So a- anyway, so you're, you're heading up the John Birch society. Well, in the, in, the, in the Western United States, I was directing coordinators and directing activities and that kind of stuff. And in 2013, um, I parted ways with the John Birch society and I was, you know, I'd met some good people here in, in Utah with that work and um, just kind of were like, OK, these things are going on. This conspiracy exists. They're doing these horrible satanic things in New York. You have the Bohemian Grove in San Francisco. But this is all really a battle between Christ and Satan. 
And so if this is a, a battle between Christ and Satan, wouldn't it make sense? This is the hypothesis. Wouldn't it make sense that Satan would have a, a higher focus where God's kingdom is headquartered? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so um, that that started us down this this road, started me down this road of saying, OK, how how can we find out if they're doing, you know, this, are they doing these same things here that they're doing in other places? And so, um, that's, that's, that's the premise that I started defending Utah with. And then, um, and now doing tree of Liberty to help everybody recognize that. Cause it was a case study of how it was done here because everybody thinks, Oh yeah, it's bad in Congress. It's bad at the UN. Um, we don't have UN troops here, but, Every city just happens to be implementing United Nations programs. How is that happening? And so really doing that case study has helped us. So now we're with the Tree of Liberty Society and we're, we're taking that same thing and we're saying, okay, this is how it happens. So that way you can identify who they are and how it's implemented in your community. And it's been a huge thing to be able to identify that here in Utah because I've always been a history guy, but like growing up, I always found Pioneer Day to be horrifically boring. <laughs> yeah and because it was you know growing up you know the pioneers you know i equated it to you know you've got we've got and you know we learn about the pioneers of the donner party and um and whatnot so i'm just like oh these guys were just crossing the desert and going through troubles because they wanted to get somewhere the background the why the why that's what makes history interesting not the the names and the dates and the locations yeah i mean they're important but what makes it interesting is the why. And I never understood the why until I started to uncover how the conspiracy got into Utah. Right. Well, and, and you bring up a good point that, that and to a, to a large degree, I think it's done on purpose, right? I think oh, that, sure. that you have a rewriting of history and then you have a, a dumbing down of history just yep. so kids don't look too deep. Yep. Right. And the, the thing is, is that when you understand the why, you can kind of, again, I apologize to my audience because I do this quite a bit. But as a surveyor, you got to know where your bearing is. Yep. You got to know where you are. You got to know where you are. And then you have to know how you got there. Yep. And so when you wake up and you just kind of start seeing this, this crap all around, you're like, how did we get here? How did we get this far off? And the only way you can really understand how you got there is the history, the why. What yeah. happened at certain times within and our why. country and what was what was the end goal? And when you start to figure that out, then a lot of this starts dropping into place. And so now I find Pioneer Day just an immensely fascinating. I, I love this time of year because I, I consider July to be Independence Month yeah. because the same principles that the founding fathers were fighting for um, to declare independence from England is the same reason why the saints were fleeing the United States to come to Deseret and to declare their independence. And if we understand that, it it it, it just opens up a whole new world to understanding why the saints uh, were coming here, why that's important, why it's amazing. And it, the, a lot of the revisionism that's going on to denigrate good people um, is uh, it really falls away yeah you know and i'm reminded i'm reminded and that's just it right you talked about this earlier a a little bit 
we we often look at our problems and and the the issues that we're facing as issues that are unique to our time. And mm-hmm. I, the more I look at history, the more I realize that's not true. Oh, uh, we ain't nothing special, right? That's not true. <laughs> the same fight that we had at the very beginning is the yep. same fight we're having now, and it all exactly. boils down to. Um, can man rule himself mm-hmm. and then reap the benefits and the, and the, the consequences of his actions? Yep. There was one plan that was set forth that said, you can do this. Not everyone's going to make it, but this can be done. The other plan was I'll get everybody back, mm-hmm. but there's not going to be this agency thing that, that seems to be high, high up on your list of things with this other plan. Right. So it's the same fight that we've always been having. Always. And, and we didn't give up. No. And when you look at that and, and you put that into perspective, all of a sudden you realize that this idea of a promised land, right, that America was, isn't such a foreign concept. It's the same idea that the children of Israel had. And in fact, mm-hmm. if you go back to some of our earliest founders, and I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, John Winthrop, when he, they're coming across on the boat. And he puts his people under a covenant and he talks about, you know, embracing each other and familiar commerce and willing to mourn with those and bear one another's burdens. It sounds awfully remarkable to what's in the Book of Mormon when Alma's about ready to baptize. It's 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 almost the same covenant. And the founders even recognized it. I mean, one of our original seals was supposed to be the children of Israel being led by the pillar of fire. So this all this battle that that we're facing right now it's very much a continuation of of or at least i believe it's a continuation of the same battle we've always been having absolutely so real quick what was your impetus for starting defending utah it was it was that it was how do we we have these things happening in our in our neighborhoods they're being implemented but you know, oh, there's a you know, there's like the John Birch side. There's a lot of good groups out there explaining what's going on in Congress, what's going on at the United Nations, but nobody understood how the conspiracy was being implemented locally. And so we, I sought out to um, find out what that was. How how was this happening? And so if you go on to the Tree of Liberty Society's YouTube channel and you look up uh, the conspiracy in Utah or secret combinations in Utah. You can see the presentation in full where I, I go into detail on how that happened because it, nobody, this is, I don't like to toot my own horn, but literally nobody has done this research before and nobody has been able to find that out and so, and, until now to discover how the Council on Foreign Relations, how the United Nations, how the Bohemian Grove, how the Skull and Bones, how the Federal Reserve, all these things got into Utah, how? And, and, and why are these, and how is that affecting us um, culturally speaking, why is it that, you know, we, we have a state uh, where the people are pro-constitution, but our state legislature and our governors are just bending over and accepting every single federal and United Nations mandate and program? And why is it that the Republicans are, you know, destroying the family and are destroying property rights and are forcing communities to implement Agenda 21 programs? You know, the list goes, why? It's not happening on accident. And so to understand that was so vital. And so that's that's why we started. That's why I started defending Utah. And that's why to bring that to everybody else is why I'm now 
moved over to Tree of Liberty Society. So let me ask you this. There was a ton of things you could have done, right? You could have just printed pamphlets. You could have started a group of like-minded people, which mm-hmm. which Defending Utah was. Uh, but the YouTube videos, that's what mm-hmm. I find fascinating. And I, I guess I find it fascinating because I know what my moment was when I decided I was going to get behind a microphone with no experience yeah. doing it, right? What what was the impetus for that? What what was it particularly? Because here's the thing, and in, in reading in, in in looking at all your videos and watching all those, you do a darn good job of of being presentable. So was <laughs> was this was this something that you had from like your your day job, so to speak, or and and then what what made you look at YouTube and go, yeah, that's it right there. Yeah. So I'm the last person that should be doing YouTube or writing articles. I, I was, I'm an English fail, you know, I failed English. <laughs> I got no business writing articles and I stutter and I'm shy. And so I've got no business speaking and I've got no business being in front of people. And so, but it was just one of those things where I felt a religious, you know, an obligation to my father in heaven that, you know, I didn't see it being done. And so I'll do it until somebody comes along and does it better. And, um, and so with my background with the John Birch Society, I had a lot of the details and I knew how to do the research. And so I just through practice um, and getting past those fears and, you know, learning ways to get to not be obviously stuttering. People don't know that I'm doing it. Um, it, it helps. You know, I just was like articles are good. People learn from different ways. And so people learn from reading. People learn, you know, audible. And so we, I was just like. I just need to put content out in every different platform so that way, no matter what people, how people enjoy consuming content, there's something for them. And so, and then YouTube just kind of, it it just, the way that the format is because you can show things, you know, I can talk about stuff with the podcast and, you know, you can do certain things with, with writing stuff as an article, but just with videos, it's just so much easier to be able to, Hey, look, you can, I've got a video of this guy saying this thing. Look, I'm not making this up. Watch this. And so, you know, YouTube filled that special niche to be able to make it more real to people. Do you remember what, what was it like your first time jumping on there? Right. It's one thing to think about it academically. It's another thing when the video fires up and you're like, here we go. Right. Was Yeah. Lots of, uh, lots of cuts and lots of edits. Lots right. of restarts. And uh, yeah, you just, yeah, I, I go back to, some, they're still on there. My first episodes are still on there and I go back and I'm like, oh, just so cringe. I know. I know. I'm the same way with this. And I've only done, I've only done right at 20 episodes now, mm-hmm. but I, I remember when I, when I had the inspiration to do this podcast, I was laying in bed in a hotel room. I was uh, out of town for work. I never sleep well when I'm out of town for work. I just don't. I feel I'm away from my family. Things feel disjointed. And I had this idea that, that just came to me out of nowhere. And I remember I, uh, I stopped off cause I, I was close enough. I could drive to where I was working. So I stopped off at Best Buy on my way home and picked up a new laptop and a, and a microphone. My wife's like, what are you doing? And I told her, and she was like, well, it's not the dumbest idea you've had. So, you know, go, go for it. But yeah, no, it's, it's a big leap, man. I, I, and and to see how far you've come, it's just been awesome. So, so let's, I want to talk for a second and you alluded to it. 
but I want to stay kind of central to Utah in that Mormon corridor, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like they are so close, right? So yeah. You can look at Idaho, especially southern Idaho, and be like, really, it's northern Utah, right? I mean, it's it's oh, all that, the way up to Rexburg for sure. Yeah. Right. It's it's that close in terms of of you know the culture and the population, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Talk to me a little bit about how those secret combinations managed to worm their way into Utah. Because let's let's not forget when the Saints come to Utah, they're leaving the United States. Yeah, absolutely. They are leaving the country. They're like, hey, this has been great, but later days, you've killed a bunch of people, we're out. And yeah. so they come out here, and it's ground that nobody wants, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's barren. Even the Indians didn't utilize it a whole bunch. Right. And so – at, you would think they'd be fairly isolated at what at what point when do those secret combinations begin to to flow into utah and under what guise are they coming yeah so i mean it really started even before we we came here um everybody knows about john c bennett you know and what a what a horrible creep he was right and but he was able to make his way into positions of power and authority but after the death of the prophet um him and a guy that they you know pretend to be enemies of each other uh james strang they they combine together and they form a chapter of the illuminati this is in the it's in my book and it's in the it, that's coming out and it's you know it's these are papers i've got the handwritten papers that are at the yale special um special archives of this organization they formed together called the illuminati and it's you know it's it's all connected to those same things and that's why the conspiracy from the very get-go at the succession crisis was going after Brigham Young because they that's they knew that's where you know, it was at and that's where they that's where Satan had to focus his attack on and it, and it began that way and so as soon as we as soon as we come out to Utah you know it, those same forces followed us out here and so um, it continues on um, where we have these you know people smaller groups of uh, people there are well in the, at the time they were frankly pretty large there the gentiles came out here as miners and as uh, railroad workers and whatnot and they and they were um not just you know uh blue collar uh workers we these people that came out of here were especially when um the feds got involved these were people that were of, of influence and people of power and they were groups that were started called one was called the Gentile League and one was called the Lo the Loyal League. And uh, Judge William Hayden came out and said if their if their plan to destroy Mormonism was stopped, there would be blood in the streets. And so and at the time there there was 2000 members of this group that they themselves called a secret society. And and so that's a pretty big group today. But just think of the population, the size it was back then. And um, and that's a much bigger, you know, section of the population that is working to undermine the church from within. And then you've got guys like William Godby, who does things from within as opposed to the outward, because, you know, as, as those groups were really putting pressure on the saints, they did really well at staying together. You had the Reformation movement of the 1850s where the saints were repenting and and you had these big miracles. And um, and, and then you've got William Godby coming in. And uh, and and trying to shake things up, saying, "Oh no, no, we want to, you know, bring in commerce from New York. There's too much suffering here. The saints are too poor. 
we need to be more like the people in New York and San Francisco. And so you start to see these things um, really start to unravel with, you know, at that point. Yeah. Let me, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So you're right in the sense that almost immediately, especially once, you know, the railroads here and you start finding out just how mineral rich Utah is. I, I think that's when you see kind of those white collar guys starting to come up. Right. Um, you have uh, definitely I, I, the Peary hotel in downtown Salt Lake was a hotel that was um, designed just for those folks coming in from out of state. So they're, they're definitely establishing a presence. Now, Gobby, if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm used to being wrong here. He was a higher up within the LDS church, but was also into the practice of the occult. Is that correct? So he was very, really, I wouldn't say he held like any really special high up callings, but he was definitely close with leaders. He married Brigham Young's daughter. Um, you know, they're very, very close, you know, friends with, with him at that point. But yes, he was definitely an occultist, um, had, you know, would go to New York instead of going to general conference to go see a, a, re- a very famous, um, uh, I don't know, soothsayer, you know, the, the, those guys that will speak in a dead person's voice and, and, and speak as if they were him. And, uh, here in Utah, he would do his, his home was always filled with table tapping and, and, uh, and seances and those types of things and uh and he tried to hide that in his excommunication trial he wanted to make sure that that part of it wasn't ever brought up because he knew that that would just kind of seal the deal and so he he in his excommunication trial he wanted to make sure that was never ever a thing it was all about how he didn't think that the church could you know should tell you what to do and so that's what they wanted to he wanted to focus it on because he knew he was toast if he brought in the is uh practicing the occult right and what's interesting is as you read early lds history early mormon history in the utah period yeah you get a sense that brigham knows something's up absolutely right? because he says so like in the in the in the uh what's the school of the prophets minutes he's you know says there's a conspiracy going on yep and and he even makes it, and it's so interesting to see just what what kind of vision he had because he even makes a pretty impassioned um, declaration concerning public schools. You know, he's like, you know, basically saying if we import the Babylonian system, you can expect that we'll have Babylon here. And so he he understands that there's there's a a fight going on, so to speak, between these forces that are coming in and and him trying to defend what they've staked out out here. At what point would you say that those, those combinations become firmly entrenched? (laughs) Um, That is a firmly entrenched, firmly entrenched. It is, it's not like a, they're like, there's not a hard line, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like, okay, June, June 5th, we're good. June 6th, we're bad. (laughs) <laughs> it's right. this gradual change right and you really start to see it where you know in the 1880s when the church leaders are on the underground and the church members are sending anonymous letters to the president of the church to get him to to back off and to say hey just do what the government says we, we have to obey the law of the land and um and then we have 
Um, then you go to, you know, when, when the manifesto comes out and, um, and then you go after that, where the leaders of the church uh, go and meet with the bankers. You had Wilford Woodruff go and meet with the people at the Bohemian uh, Club that host the Bohemian Grove and trying to get, you know, bank loans because the church is in such dire straits because of all the lawsuits and because of the government stealing all their property. And so they're just so desperate, you know, they don't know what to do. And so they're just grasping at, you know, where can we find some cash to just stay afloat? And so, and, and, and then you move into the 1900s with the Reed Smoot hearing and the attacks, you know, on, on the church during that time to be able to, you know, seat um, uh, an apostle into the U.S. Senate. And, um, and then you really, I think, you know, and so one, each of those phases, you have these steps where um, we, as a culture, we open ourselves up and we become more and more like the world. And so by the time you have the 1920s and 30s, we're fully entrenched. The conspiracy is fully entrenched in Utah. And as a society, we've gone from, you know, I defy the United States with John Taylor to we are faithful and obedient subjects. Right. Right. You know, and, and here's the thing. The attacks on Brigham haven't stopped. They right. started to increase in recent years. Yeah. I mean, if you look at what's happening down at BYU, it's a little frightening, right? When when oh, yeah. when when you start seeing the namesake of the university uh you know suffering from cancel culture, so to speak. Yeah. It's 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 a spooky environment. I did, the buildings, why not change the name of the university if you're gonna apply the same logic? Right, exactly. I, I just did and I shouldn't say just did in one of my earlier episodes, uh one of the things we sought to take apart so hard was what I was noticing in, in kind of the blogosphere, if you will, of Mormonism. And that was this idea of kids coming out of BYU, having this idea that, that really calm, you know, that, that the United order is nothing but communism with a religious bent. That's, that's been the charge, you know, since for forever you had Marion G. Romney had to do a talk at BYU to, straighten them out back in the 60s so i mean it's right it's been the argument for forever right and it's it's raising its head again and and yeah. in 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 frightening ways so utah finds itself by the 20s and 30s pretty well firmly entrenched in in this idea of we're going to be loyal subjects and and i get why right i mean these are people who who have you know certainly their grandparents saw what kind of horrors can come when you defy you know defy the the powers that be it's it's not a fun place to be but those concessions are made and and you get the feeling that as those concessions were made that local government had this idea of well we'll give them this and then they'll be happy right just right. kind of appeasement and it didn't pan out that way well i think you, you, like you see when after the manifesto comes out in the 1890s um it, it did for a while right and that's i think that that was the trap was um we and this isn't really a part of the conspiracy itself this is just how the culture was able to change to accept the conspiracy and so because we we accepted these things then when the government we said okay here's the manifesto and so the government actually like goes on like just takes the initiative and starts to give us you know some some freedoms back and so church leaders are like oh wow that you know they're feeling like this is great you know and so they're feeling and so after the manifesto, 
the the changes that were after that were like oh that's you know that's tiny you know in in comparison sure we will we will totally make some deals and they also believed and this was a, a, a this is a problem that we have today um it's a problem that you know for the last since the 1830s that christians have had in general is this idea of you know the the savior's coming any minute now and so we can give up um certain ideas and it's okay because jesus is coming back and he's going to fix it that's that's the mindset and so this was the mindset back then you have talked by you know and 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 correspondence with um wilford woodruff and lorenzo snow it's like this really distincts but but the savior's coming back and so it really quickly and it's you know this isn't gonna be a problem in the next 10 years so so it's, it's okay and so we fall for these you know they're I love them as, you know, I, I love those men. I believe them as to be, you know, the, the key holders and, and, and the continuation of authority from Joseph Smith, but they are men. And just like Joseph Smith accepted um, John, you know, William uh, John C. Bennett as a member of the 12, you know, other leaders do similar things that, you know, are mistakes. We all make mistakes. And so that was one of the mistakes that, that, that they did was, was thinking that it's okay to do these things because the savior's coming um any, any day now and so and and then that just got into and at that at the same time right you have these groups i mentioned earlier where you have the um the loyal league of the gentile league where they were just in your face and then you have these other softer organizations like the alta club where their job is to just you know be nice the slow you know fabian socialist uh route of just one we're just going to boil that frog very, very slowly. Do not shake him. Don't get him out. Don't get him to jump out on his own. Just cook him slowly. And and so the, with with uh, they formed the um, Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce as a way to be able to influence businesses and to influence um, legislation to bring it to and the, according to their own biography was to bring Utah into the same culture as the rest of the United States. The, this culture that we just bleed. They are trying to slowly merge us back in. They realized that they couldn't do it all in one big step; had to be one small step at a time. And so that's what their these organizations' jobs are to do. And then you you know that that they uh, they were able to creep into the culture where we were believing in being economically independent, where they're like, no, hey, look, look how much easier it is to go to the department store. You don't have to do all these things yourself, you know. And and so now we're going to Gentiles. We're we're. Being, we're building up Gentile businesses. And so that's one small, the conspiracy gets us to do that. And then, um, you know, we, we uh, they bring in these free schools and the, 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 the Latter-day Saints are like, oh man, these church schools are too expensive and it's too much of a sacrifice. These other religions and the government's given us these free schools. Let's just send our kids to that. And now these children are being brainwashed. And so that changes the culture more because they're bringing, really school is like Sunday school, right? Every, their Sunday school is meaning one day a week we're going to teach you uh, the uh, the truth, whereas Monday through Friday we're going to teach you the doctrines of the state, and so that changes the culture over time as well. Where now they're really accepting of new ideas, and so it's really easy when um, you have Heber J. Grant in General Conference literally telling a story of how he spoke to the head of the Federal Reserve said. We will put in, I will put any requirement there is over the people of Utah if you will give us a branch of the Federal Reserve. We will, and, and they, and they talked, and then he, he's in the talk 
talks about how we and we borrowed the money like we were supposed to. So we go into from this idea of being economically independent of, you know, neither a borrower nor a lender be to bring in the Federal Reserve guys and get those loans. Right. And so we, we start to really entrench ourselves um, with uh, accepting the conspiracies here, building up these monuments and building up these institutions and changing the culture to get the saints to accept them. It's the it the the old in your face route didn't work and they realized that they couldn't come in here and and strangle you and threaten to you know if they came in here and said you get a loan from the bank or we're throwing you in jail you're like oh wait I'm not getting a loan you can throw me in jail go you know pound sand but you know you take the soft approach of look how much things you know how much more things we can get done how much more prosperous we are and prosperity means blessings blessings mean righteousness we are just you know all is well in Zion. So I want I want to go back here just a bit and I want to break down three organizations because as I look at it and you again correct me if I'm wrong Ben you're the expert here but when you're talking about Utah there seems yeah. to be three or four groups that I feel like really have their hands on the lever so to speak especially in those early days one is the Alta Club uh -huh. right the other is the Gentile League you talked about yeah. And the third, I would I would dare to say, is is Bohemian Grove. Mm -hmm. So real quick, talk to me a little bit about what each of those organizations were. So, yeah, they, I would say that they have differing levels of influence in Utah. Um, so you have the Bohemian Club They're the, they, they have a headquarters down, downtown, um, downtown San Francisco. And then, you know, if your listeners aren't aware, they. You can go down that dark, deep path on the on the internet and watch the videos of film uh, footage of what they do at the at the uh, retreat at the Bohemian Grove every late summer, this time of year up just north of San Francisco, where the elites, the powerful elites um, in academia, in government, and in um, you know in in finance, get together. That's where they plan things like you know Hiroshima, and that's where they you know, Reagan went there, Nixon went there. Um, you know, this is it's a who's who of the powerful elites. They get together and they do this thing called the cremation of care, where they do a mock human sacrifice, where they do this religious ceremony to this owl god, and they turn themselves over to the you know the, the, they give up the their conscience um, to doing the so-called greater good of serving Satan. And so um, during the 1800s up till the early 1940s. Uh, they established a branch in Salt Lake City, and that's where the underground sodomite movement was for many, many years until it became a little bit more public when um, the church patriarch was outed as a, as a sodomite and had to be removed from his position, and um, and they had to shuffle things around. And, and so that Bohemian Grove, the Bohemian Club in Utah at that time went back underground. So that's kind of the, a little bit of the history there with that. Um, and then you have the Gentile League. Um, they, again, were the more in-your-face group. And they kind of went away in the 1880s because from the 1850s to the 1870s, um, that, the, the strategy was we're just going to pound you into the sand and you're going to do what we say or we're going to kill you. And, they you know, and, and so that was, that was just what it was. That was their program to get us to change. And that just made us entrench 
And, and they recognized that. And Brigham Young talked about that. He's like, you know, I, you know, he feared the day that we stopped receiving persecution because, you know, that would, it would make things easier for us and we would give up. And so um, they, they had a lot of pressure to like get saints to turn other saints in that type of a thing, but actually changing the culture, they didn't have much of an impact. They were really just the enforcers of the conspiracy back in DC, trying to put the kibosh on, on the Mormons and Mormonism. And then you go to the 1880s, 1883, and the Alta Club is formed where a lot of these same individuals get together and they form a different group and they say, okay, let's take the small, the slow, methodical approach where that's that's where the, you know, in, in 1983, the mayor of Salt Lake said that's where the establishment in Utah meets in secret to, you know, set up their plans on what they're going to do. And so um, that's that's the meeting place, basically, where um, all of the uh, different organizations, the different tentacles of the conspiracy meet together to decide how are we going to do these things? It's where they planned um, just in more recent times. Right. The the uh, the uh, the Utah law that said that. Um, it was about so-called protecting, you know, gay rights, where it was about destroying the ability of property owners to decide who they want to rent to and business owners, who they can fire and who they can hire. And so it was a destruction of, of property rights, but that was all negotiated and approved at the Alta Club. Um, you, you go back to the 1800s, where you have a member of the Alta Club, uh, Judge William Zane, um, was brought a case where a member of the church had found out about a brothel and brought it to the judge and the judge, because they, this you know, conspirators, like we read in the book of Mormon, they protect each other in their crimes. Instead of arresting, instead of throwing the guy that owned the brothel and run the, ran the brothel in jail, he throws the Mormon in jail instead. And so um, they, they just, it was, this was the, through legal means, through uh, cultural means, they work to change Utah to make us more like the world. Yeah, and you brought up another group that I want to talk about for just a yeah. second, and that's the the Fabian Socialists. Yeah, and they're not as well known as maybe some some of these, you know, like Bohemian Grove or something like that. But sure. they were just as insidious, right? I mean, when you do the history oh, on them, uh, yeah. You on know, the international level for sure. Yeah, right. They they took their name from the the Roman general Fabian, who was um, famous for fighting wars of attrition, basically just saying, yep. you know, I think we can outlast you. I think we'll just kill you with a thousand cuts. Yep. And right down to, um, and I saw it once once myself on a on a trip that I took back to England. You can still see the original meeting place where the Fabian socialists met. And one of the guys there was George Bernard Shaw. Right. And he's, yep. he's a, you know, playwright and he's beloved. But if you listen to what he said, he's kind of a horrific individual, but there's a stained glass window of them kind of heating up the globe and trying to reshape it more to their heart's desire. Right. Right. And where, where they may not have had direct ties to Utah, they're certainly, seem to be a a big hand and kind of the granddaddy of them all well they 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 kind of did i mean indirect in well i mean they had people coming here william godby i mentioned earlier he called himself a william a, a robert owen mormon <laughs> and so a lot of people have no idea who robert owen is i mean was right and and if if you went to to church on sunday and, and somebody said i'm a robert owen mormon if they, 
they'd look at you like you were insane. Um, but so, but what God be meant by that was because Robert Owen was the father of communism. You know, before before Karl Marx, there was Robert Owen. R Robert Owen was the one that trained Karl Marx. And who trained Robert Owen? Madame Blavatsky, who started the Lucifer, the Lucifer, uh, the Lucifer Trust. And uh, the Theosophical Society is what it was changed to afterwards. And so, and, and so you have Robert Owen, who was um, in the 18, starting in the 1830s and 1840s in the United States, was setting up these socialist um, utopias, um, you know, these communes. And um, Joe, we read about it, and Joseph Smith in the history of the church says he attended a lecture on socialism, and he says he didn't believe the doctrine. So that's one one extra thing to say. You know, Joseph Smith taught the United Order. He knew about socialism, said he didn't believe the doctrine of socialism, even though he believed the doctrine of United Order. So Joseph Smith, United Order, socialism, not the same thing. The lecture on socialism that he attended and said he didn't believe the doctrine, it was a Robert Owen lecture on socialism. And so um, that that whole, you know, that connection uh, to, you know, Robert Owen, all the way to William Godby to Utah um, and, the, and, the, and the socialists is uh, pretty clear. And uh, that influence, we can see it all the way today. Basically, everything that, Rob, that William Godby wanted to move the church to in the 1860s and 70s is really where the church is at today. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Madame Blavatsky. Yeah. And 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 her societies, people forget that she single-handedly gave Adolf Hitler most of his ideas on the Aryan race, mm -hmm. and all those uh, occult myths that the that the Nazi Party really held to as their gospel. And yeah. so this is dark, insidious stuff. And the more you you kind of dive into it, it's. It's hard to call it conspiracy at this point because it's all out in the open. Well, it's still a conspiracy. Conspiracy theory would be in the out in the you know is the thing that's people are like oh that's theorizing. This is a conspiracy fact. Right. These people are working in secret to do evil things, and um, you know most people like you say don't know about it. And so even though even though the information is available, the, the fact that people aren't, aren't knowing about it and they're not you know broadcasting the news still makes it a secret and you know in most people's eyes but yeah you're right they, they, they are being out in the open and the information's there and so if, if anybody wants it it's not hard to find yeah yeah and and the more you look at these people and you start seeing who they're associating with or who picked up their cause the darker yeah. it gets right I, you look Absolutely. at margaret you look at margaret sanger from planned parenthood who is yep. just adored by the far left she attended clan rallies I mean, she yeah. was she was a a horrible human being, but <laughs> yet she is held up as as the standard of of reproductive care, right? right? Um, so you start the podcast, you start your your videos. Yeah. When did you realize, holy cow, this is gaining traction? It, you know, it's it's you know it's one of those things where it's a slow slow trudge, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're doing this for seven eight years, and all of a sudden, boom. It hits, and it's it was during the fake pandemic, 2020, and we had on a nurse that uh, came on, and she exposed what was going on in at Intermountain Healthcare, and that just you know people were people were itching for the truth because there was nobody else really 
talking about it. You know, when when it was two weeks to flatten the curve and you couldn't have 10 people at a meeting, we got people together at the Capitol. We had 20 people when it was illegal to have 10. We had 20 at the Capitol having a picnic in the face of the governor. Right. And then when it was illegal to have restaurants open, we go to a restaurant and we set up picnic tables and uh, and we, we eat lunch at the at the uh, at at the what, at, at the restaurant. And we open up a restaurant when they're closed. And so um, getting these things that are just so different, that was, I think people were just, you had a mix of people were itching for it. And they're like, I know there's something wrong, but I can't place it. Here's some people that are, you know, doing something. And then on the other side, you had these psychopaths that I hope they're embarrassed now that were, you know, calling the police on us and calling us biological terrorists. And so with you, you have these people that were so angry with us and you had these people that were like recognizing there was something wrong with the official line. And it was just at just the right uh, right time that we were putting stuff together that really started to catch uh, steam there. Right on. Yeah, no, the I stuff that we've done since has been able to, to, to expand on that. Right. What kind of pushback did you get? I mean, obviously, look, there's there's certain. And I imagine this this conversation will be one of them. There's I have a YouTube channel that I'll put my some of my podcasts on, but there's others that I know I don't dare to put on and just leave up at my website for people sure. to go to because I know darn well it will get flagged and take taken right. down. Absolutely. Did you did you encounter much of that yourself in in this? So we, we've been I've been planning on that since day one. I knew they've been doing that for a long time. They shut people down. They shut down their PayPal accounts. I knew it was definitely a possibility anytime. And so, and I regularly get strikes, but I don't get enough strikes to get permanently banned because I'm not saying it won't happen. You know, I I probably, I I plan on it. It probably will be happening, but I've, I've consciously um, done things where I, I, I title a video, something to try and go around get people to realize what's going on in the video, but use words that the YouTube algorithms, you have to be, you have to, so that way a a person has to specifically report the video before, instead of, because there's, if you use certain words, the algorithm, the computer will shut your video down and cut you off. You know, if it's in the video, if you're saying certain words, and so that shows up in their, you know, uh, their closed captioning, so that way they know what you're saying, then they they can flag you and shut you down just with a computer without a person, and so I've been very careful to to use words and to use descriptions that will you know that will um, remove that will mitigate the possibility, and so it, uh, it it still happens. But then I you know it they they say I can't post a new video for a week, and so during that week I make sure that okay what am I planning what am I going to be doing, and then and so we use the other alternatives to kind of put the videos out there that are banned by youtube or that we think there's no way to get around the algorithms we just have to put it on the alternative platforms right right yeah that's that was a whole reason i made a a website for the podcast was because i was like you know at some point yep at some point they're gonna come for you right youtube's been the worst yep i've i've never gotten booted from like Spreaker. I've never gotten a warning from Spreaker. The, the podcast platforms, for whatever reason, maybe because it's there's fewer uh, people on them, but uh, I haven't, they don't 
care about what you, I mean, you can pretty much, as long as you're not telling somebody to hurt somebody else, you're okay. Right. So that, that's awesome. So you, you've recently made the switch from defending Utah to tree of Liberty society. Correct. What, if, if it's not too personal, if you're comfortable, can you tell us what the, uh, what the impetus for that was? So it's been something I've been working on for about a year now. There's, you know, the idea, the idea has been back in my head just a little bit, just because people are always asking, Hey, don't you have something for Idaho? Don't you have something for New York? Don't you have something for Texas? And so that was always kind of in the back of my mind. But um, with uh, my partner that I started defending Utah with um, really stopped being involved for a while. And um, then he would do things that would hurt, you know, he would post an article, somebody would argue with him. He would argue with them um, in a way that would, you know, I I felt was damaging to my reputation because I'm the face, I was the face of the organization. I, he wouldn't stop doing that kind of stuff. And there was other behaviors um, that I just didn't want to be associated with. And so I, about, you know, a, a year ago now, I really started the, the shift over. And then in April, May of this year, it was, it was just a hard switch where it was just like, okay, I'm done um, dealing with, with that. And because he owned the URL, I couldn't take that with me. And so uh, I was like, okay, this is a good time to, to do the national organization and to protect my um, reputation and not to be associated with the things that he was working on. And so that's, that's what I was doing. That's awesome. Well, and, and it's often out of those, um, those sorts of things that, that your vision will get pushed along farther. Right mm-hmm. now it, it seems as, as I've bumped around a little bit on, on the site there and stuff, it doesn't seem like it's, geared towards just utah right it's a national it's a national thing now which is super exciting to see yeah so so with with that let's talk about this we've talked about the history a little bit on on how these societies and these uh combinations moved into utah and and that greater mormon corridor if you will yeah let's talk real quick about where we stand today (laughs) <laughs> what is the state of freedom within that Mormon corridor? It's um, it's fragile. It's it's on a teeter, and it could go any way, either, either way, anytime. This is the first time that local governments have received opposition. It's always been opposition against, against what's going on in Congress, but actual opposition on the local level, understanding the conspiracy on the local level has never happened before. Um, like in Idaho, you had Brad Little, where he was arresting, um, even in conservative state, he was arresting people for having a sing-along in a parking lot. In Utah, that didn't happen because we had opposition. So as long as we had the understanding and we oppose the tyranny, you know, where, you, where, you ha- where people are like, oh, just put up with it until it goes away. They, they, they think that's going to make it go, but no, no. Where did you see that happen in California and New York? And where are the places where they had the mandates and the shutdowns the longest? Where they had compliance, where there was resistance and uncompliance, and even you know going further, where we were going to government officials' office, their homes. They you know the founding fathers said you know when 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 the freedom is where is when the government fears the people. You know you have tyranny when the people fear the government. 
And so it was, it was fantastic that the government was afraid because we were showing up in front of their houses and saying, we are not going to obey you. And so because of that, we were able to get um, things that didn't have to happen in places like Idaho even didn't happen in Utah. But we have this balance where you have um, you have the president of the church saying everybody should get the kill shot. You have them. You have uh, David Bednar speaking at the G20 or G8 summit saying mm -hmm. that the churches should be used to promote the, the government's official line. And so you, we have, um, you know, the, the biggest influential organization in the state, you know, using their influence to help promote these things. That makes it that makes it difficult. But I think a lot of people are waking up. The, the, the problem that we have right now is people are waking up to what's going on and they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and they're throwing out either, you know, the restored gospel or the restore or they're throwing out religion as a whole. And, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's short sighted. It's because they don't understand that. That's why history is so important. You have to understand the big picture um, to, to make sure that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But that is, that, that is a, a, a problem that we face because we have that issue of those individuals saying and doing those types of things, um, which then the legislature says, Oh, you know, that they, you have, you know, uh, uh, Cox talking about how, the Pope and the president of the church all says to do these things. And so he's able to use those, those churches as a crutch to excuse his tyrannical behavior. And so um, it's important for us as individuals now to be able to understand correct principles as much as possible. So that as individually, we can do the right thing, no matter what other others as either individuals or others as organizations do, we can still do it. And so, because we've been able to build that understanding, it's it's like a, a good inoculation against tyranny, where now we've been able to teach enough about the proper will of government, about nullification, and how these things are righteous principles, scriptural, scripturally based principles, that people can say, you know what, you know, I still believe in the restoration, but I'm sorry, you're wrong. I'm not going to do that. And so it's, you know, it's this teeter that goes back and forth. I think if we left it alone, it would this vacuum would come in and tyranny would sweep in much faster, but because we're, we're holding back the wave, the tidal wave, um, it's, uh, I, I think we're, we're, we're at least holding steady and, and we're working to, to go on the offense and, and push back. You know, I, uh, I remember seeing the video of the one mother who in Idaho, who dared to defy, uh, the the caution tape on the playground equipment. Oh yeah, Brady, I think it was her. Yep, name. yep, and she got she got arrested. Yep. And to me, she's still dealing with that's crazy. Yeah, to me that was the biggest red flag, not because it happened, but because it happened in Idaho. Right? Right. right. I mean, this sounds bad. I kind of almost expected it a little bit in Utah just because there are there there always seemed to be a bigger contingent of progressives here than Especially, Idaho. You know, yeah, Salt Lake City is bigger than Boise. Right. So when I saw it in Idaho, that's when my heart hit my stomach because I was like, okay, if it's happening there, yeah, there there is no safe place anymore. There is right. no place that you can just run to and mm -hmm. make the assumption that that freedom is going to be protected. If it's yep. happening in Idaho, right? Yep. 
it yep. you you got some problems. You got yep. you got some problems you got to look at. So with with that said, um and and we know that it's teetering on the brink so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Going back and forth. Are you hopeful or are you a little more pessimistic? Uh, I'm hopeful. I well, I'm not I'm, I'm not only hopeful. I I I believe that the conspiracy will be defeated. I I think the scriptures are are clear that before the savior comes. I did a presentation on this that uh, the before the savior comes, the conspiracy will be defeated. And so we just need to make sure that we are waking up the sufficient amount that we need to be able to work on that opposition and um and and not be afraid when people with certain titles say and and do certain things that that we stand strong for correct principles no matter what and uh and so we're seeing that and so i'm i'm optimistic because i i think that it was you know it's, it's one of those moments where you have 9 11 where the conspiracy really just went the they all they usually try the again the boy and the frog approach but with big events like 9 11 and, and the fake pandemic they 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 move the huge steps forward and they try to get more done than they did in the last 50 100 years and i think i think the fake pandemic was just a little bit too much a little bit too long if they had left it at two weeks to flatten the curve i think they could have gotten away with a lot but because they made it last two to three years people are like yeah you know it, it, it woke way too many people up and so we just need to be there to to direct you know, that, that energy in a, in a positive and effective manner. You know, I, you make a good point because when the pandemic first kicked off, I worked for a local government agency within Utah. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't say which one or whatever, but (laughs) I was one of the guys who said, I'll keep going in. I'll keep going to the office. Right. Yeah. I wasn't always a Mormon. So um, I did, (laughs) I, I was a, I was naturally good at drinking as a younger man. And uh, um, I'm sure my, my thought process, it probably a little bit flawed was COVID will get in there and be like, we got to get out of here. This guy, this place is horrible. Right. But my thought was, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, I'll keep going to work. Yeah. And so I would see the numbers come in. Right. Cause we had to have these meetings every, every uh, week or so where we would get the numbers and the demographic. Right. Yeah. And so I'm looking at the demographics and I don't want to make light of anybody dying. Right. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. However, when you looked at the numbers, you were seeing that the vast majority of the people who were passing away were older than the average life expectancy of a person period. Right. And it was always with, not of, it was, you know, they're always fiddling with the wording that they would use. Yes. And, and, I think the the last average I saw was is that most people who died from COVID had 2.5 comorbidity factors. Yeah. And these aren't just factors like dudes a little chunky, right? Or right. you know whatever. It's people who are like, probably halfway out the door anyway. in convalescent homes already. Right. And again, I don't mean to make light of that cuz I don't ever want to minimize somebody's um pain. But at the same time, as a society, I felt like, okay, we need to take a step back because I'm I'm thinking the cure now is worse than than the disease itself, and right. so that that was the first time I can certainly remember thinking, yeah, this this has gone off the rails horribly, right? Um, 
because I was, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt at first, right? I was willing to say, look, um, two weeks doesn't seem extreme. We didn't have a lot of da- data. The funny thing about communist regimes like China is they're not necessarily forthcoming with information. So we didn't right. have a ton of data to go off of. So I felt like two weeks seems seems appropriate. But after that, it got it got way bad. It, and they moved that window, right? And that's that's what I've noticed they do a ton is that they will move the goalpost, so to speak. Right. So right. Th- they'll have a goal in mind. And then when they get pushback, they'll be like, okay, we'll scale it back a little bit. Right. Not realizing that they still moved it a full 10 yards. Right. Right. And so they scaled it back from 15 down to 10, but you've still moved that, that ball in that direction, so to speak. Right. What do you think is the biggest issue right now facing Utah? In terms of, oh, of preserving freedom, right? Uh, Ignorance—it's—I uh, it's, would say it's a—it's a co-equal with ignorance and apathy. You have people not understanding, and you have people that kind of understand, and that they don't care. They—they they have the attitude of "there's nothing I can do about it." And so I think those two things are what are what allow the uh, the tyranny to be at our door more than it should be. What about from the government end of things? What, what what do you think the biggest threat is coming down the pike as far as government laws, you know, new laws or anything yeah. like that? Um, absolutely. Um, you will see an increase in um, it, the uh, Agenda 21 situation with uh, environmentalism well, under the guise of environmentalism, um, in, increase uh, tax on property and on water. Um, we just had the uh, the feds tell us we, you know, how much water we're allowed to get from the Colorado River. And so Cox today announced, you know, as if he, it was his idea that we're going to use less water from the Colorado River. And so um, you're going to you're going to see a lot more threats on against uh, the, uh, private property um, as uh, on the environmental front, as well as on the uh, the culture war with the um, with the sodomite and the. Uh, and the Black Lives Matter movements uh, um, affecting private homeowners and, and businesses really going after the increasing the uh, attacks on, you know, with introducing legislation on hate crimes legislation and basically uh, calling, you know, anybody that wants freedom of association is going to be uh, accused of a hate crime. And um, as, a, you know, as opposed to somebody being, you know, if I hurt someone, that's a crime it's it's really about thought control and so they want to be able to control your thoughts those are some big things that um the powers that be are on the national as well as you know on we see through the chamber of commerce and the alta club um really pushing those uh those two agendas um the most we saw a lot i think we're going to see something else again with um uh public health orders in the future because all of these things that supposedly were passed by the state legislature in Utah to protect, you know, to end mask mandates and to make sure that we didn't have, you know, forced vaccinations, all of those bills had expiration dates. Um, and those, so they, those so-called protections will go away in 2024. So uh, I, I think they've got some things up their sleeve for 2024 or, or, or soon thereafter. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, that's that's a lot of stuff that you have to be looking at. And to top it all off, I, I, 
Ben, as I look at it, I feel like we're, we're, we're either at the moment or fast approaching the moment at which we need to really reevaluate where it is we're standing. Right. Because I, I, I feel like right now, you know, you look at everything we've dealt, been dealing with on the national front. Let's just go national for just a minute. We've had yeah, the yeah. pandemic. We've had inflation. We still have inflation. They've just managed to curtail the numbers. Um, we've had shortages of supplies. We've had, you know, the 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 war going on in Ukraine. I feel like we haven't ever had to deal with this many things at once simultaneously. And yeah. I, wor- I worry that we're standing kind of at the edge of the precipice. And yeah. I, I'm glad you're optimistic. Cause I'll be honest with you. I'm a little pessimistic when I, when it comes <laughs> to this, right? Like w- when I look at it all, I'm like, mm, I, I don't, I don't see how we can, can weather all these storms at work at once. Right now, having said that, I know God loves dramatic endings, right? We see that all the time where, where I, I often, and, and again, because I'm a simple, simple man, I'll put it this way. It's often America seems to be Rocky a lot in the Rocky movies, right? Just pounded yeah. to a pulp and somehow we pull ourselves up and, and figure it all out. Right. I'm hopeful it happens again, but I think, I think for too long, I've always looked and, and I had to come to this conclusion. Oh, probably, probably two years ago where I was looking for the next founder, right? I was looking for the next Washington or the next mm-hmm. Jefferson mm-hmm. or, or whoever it was to be that guy. Yeah. I think we have to all be that guy at this point. Right. Yes. Yes. That, that is everybody's looking for someone else. And that's what we try. That's, that's what I tried to explain and try to instill is that, no, 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 no. This is your job. This is your responsibility. You cannot pawn this off onto somebody else. You cannot just say, I'm going to give this organization, you know, some a donation and, and they're going to go solve this problem for me. This is something that we all have to take a personal ownership of and be willing to engage. Right. How can we expect the same blessings? as previous generations without paying the same price it's it's it, it can't and won't happen and so if we want the freedom that they had we have to pay the same price if we're not willing to do that then we just we're we're saying we're going to accept the chains that are placed upon us and so i you know i kind of i don't know if I, it was a him and a ha but i i qualified you know when i said that earlier because there are Certain aspects of it, things um, are definitely going to get uh, hairy. Um, the conspiracy, the, the, you know, Satan wants his program implemented by 2030. They, they are, they are on fast forward. You mentioned all those different things that are going on, and I think you know, I've been in this long enough where I recognize that people always think when they wake up, that's when it's the worst. And you know, to to certain extent, it's you know, this all this is the continuation, like I mentioned earlier, but. They're doing the same thing, but all at the same time. It's usually like all of these different things you mentioned, they're just like, oh, that's happening. And then when that goes away, the next thing happens. But no, they're throwing all of these things on us at the same time because they're all part of of how they're going to implement their goals for Agenda 2030. And so they want to have their new world order implemented by then. Um, 
I'm going to do everything I can to stop them. And so I, I hope others will as well. And I believe that there will be enough of us that are engaged and willing to pay the price that we will stop them from doing so. Yeah, I, I, I've looked at this because again, I, being an amateur historian, going back and looking, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. We had World War II, and we had, you know, we all our, our chips have been on the table before, but yeah. I don't think like this. And and as I go back and I look at it, and I want to preface this by saying I don't think Donald Trump was the savior of the republic. Oh, um, not even, yeah. But people will get mad at me for saying that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. They can be mad at me. I'm used to it by now. Um, what the thing I'll say is that he scared the crap out of the progressives because he threatened to undo everything they'd done, right? This was a hundred year plan, right? This was, they understood that, that, yeah, we're not going to be able to give them fascism and socialism right away. They're going to have to take it in dribs and drabs, right? Here you had a guy come along who was from the outside who had threatened to do some things that I think upset him. And I think as soon as they got him out of office, they're like, we're not risking it again. We're going to go full tilt and we're just going to run this through as quick as we can. Do you think that's a fair assessment? I, I tend to disagree. I think that Donald Trump was false opposition. Okay. Um, there was a lot of, and, but you know, I, I think your ultimate conclusion is, is, is definitely, you know, really spot on. They are in a hurry. If, if you're comfortable with it, explain that, that you think he was false opposition. He, he wasn't an insider. He's been a part of the inside club for, you know, for forever. That's a fair um, point. That That's <laughs> a very good point. Yeah, no, because there's plenty of pictures and video of him attending the, the Bushes and the Clintons various well, functions. You don't get to be as rich as he is in New York City without uh, making some some interesting friends. <laughs> and um and then you look at, you know, in, in, in office, you know, he said that take the guns first, due process later. He expanded the, the uh, North American Union into, you know, ex from NAFTA to um, the uh, expanding the North American Union beyond NAFTA. He uh, his closest advisor for foreign policy was Richard Haas, the head of the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, I think, you know, the, the list could go on and on and uh, you know, pick the things that you know the media would would focus on to. You know, you don't get somebody like, OK, just compare his opposition to Ron Paul's. Donald Trump got free advertising worth billions of dollars. He couldn't afford to pay for the free advertising that he got. Uh, P.T. Barnum said, I don't care what you say about me. Just spell my name right. You, you compare that to Ron Paul. And even though he placed in second in polls, you know, when he ran for president, they left him off the list. When, when you are really outside of the system, they ignore you. It's when they give you the free advertising where they, you know, they would give a, they would do a, a glancing blow, say, oh, Ron Paul's a racist. And then they would ignore him, you know, for as much as they could. But it, every day, even now, when he's out of office, it's every day, it's, it's the free advertising. I believe it's, I believe it's free advertising because you get people of our mindset that are like, hey, he's saying, you know, X, Y, and Z, isn't that, and 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 all the bad guys are are mad at him and attacking him, and and so he you know and and so it puts him up there as somebody that's going to be the new George Washington or you know whatever it is that we can all get behind that's gonna you know get stand between us and the new world order, you know no that, I don't believe that.
Right. No, that's, those are great points. Cause yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't enamored with him. Right. I mean, I, I felt like, um, again, he wasn't the savior of the Republic, right. He was, and I didn't even care about his crassness, you know, whatever, People right. different, you know, communication styles. That wasn't my problem with him one bit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about, about this book you got coming out, Ben. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit about it. So a lot of, you know, I don't know how much of, you, of your viewers will know about me, but uh, people that have followed me for, for a while now know about my presentation on seer combinations in Utah. Um, it's, it's the culmination of, of, you know, a decade or more of research on the conspiracy in Utah going to, you know, not stuff that you can find on in, in Google. I'd go into BYU special collections, going to university of Utah, special collections, the churches, uh, the states, and and getting documents and putting all these things together. And the presentation, you know, I, I, I even did a director's commentary, made it like two, you know, hour and a half, two hours long. And it, it still was just really scratching the surface. And so, because you can only do that, you, can only, you know, nobody wants to sit down for, you know, four days straight to learn everything there is to know about the conspiracy in Utah. And so, um, I've been planning for, since I put together the presentation, on putting a book together that really goes into in depth into the whole thing that explains all the things I didn't have time to go into. And so um, I, I've broken it up into two volumes. Volume one should, it will be coming out in the next two to three weeks. Um, uh, first week of September at the very latest. And so if your listeners want to go to tree of Liberty society and uh, they can get a free copy just by signing up for our email list um a free pdf copy and then we'll have hard copies available if people like the old-fashioned reading of of books um but um it's it's really going into the details of explaining how the conspiracy got here how we fell for everything they were doing um it's it's a case study because what we're trying to do is use this as the example so that um you know it's not just sure there there is a certain specialness to it because it is satan's attack on the kingdom of god but it's the same tactics no matter where you're at. The conspiracy uses the same boiling frog ap- approach. It's, you know, the, you, you can, I, the book goes through and it identifies principles. So that way um, you can identify individuals because individuals die. The same conspirators that are involved now weren't involved when uh, Gary Allen wrote the book, Non Terror Call It Conspiracy. So if that's the last book we have and we don't understand principles, we're not going to know who's involved and we're going to be fooled by wolves in sheep's clothing. Oh, he's a Republican and he said constitution. He must be good. No, those guys are usually the biggest dirtbags. In the state of Utah, it's not their Democrat. I mean, not that I'm a supportive of the Democratic platform, but it's the Republicans that are passing the bills that are enslaving us in the state of Utah. And so we've got to get past the personalities and start to recognize how the conspiracy infiltrates your 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 state and your community and recognize that your, your city officials are implementing these things. And so the volume one, is getting into the history, the case study for Utah, and then volume two, which will be out in the winter, gets into more specifics where we're going to be covering who are the influential people today involved in groups like the Council on Formulations, Skull and Bones, um, uh, the group above Skull and Bones called Owl and Key, um, that things that nobody's ever heard of, Federal Reserve, and, and how that got here, and the people that were involved with that. And so naming current names, talking about another group, People always think I'm talking about the same group, but there's two groups, there's the Alpha Club and the Alfalfa Club. And so I'm going to get into details on Mitt Romney's involvement with this secret society called the Alfalfa Club, 
that considers themselves to be the oldest secret society that goes back to Egypt. And right after, you know, when the Egyptus and uh, in the book of Abraham that we learn about. And so, you know, it's interesting. Why is Mitt Romney a part of this group that uh, that believes that about themselves? And he was not only a part of that group, he was the president of the group for a couple of years. And so that's what we're going to get beginning into in volume two. Uh, but volume one, again, is is laying the groundwork for us to understand really the uh, the, the the nature of what we'll be covering in volume two. So that way we have the principles down because too often when we get into personalities and issues as opposed to principles, we we get bogged down and we're just like, oh, well, it's not masks and it's not, you know, Nancy Pelosi. So it's good. And we have to like, we have to like, we start, we have to like figure out each thing at each, each time something new comes up, we have to figure it out. But if we understand the foundation, the principles that I'll be laying out in that book, then we can start to say, okay, the names change. I can't go to secretcombinations.com and, and just have all this, you know, all the names listed, but I'll have the, uh, I'll have the principles in me. And so that way I can identify somebody because based on their fruits instead of their words because the conspiracy has learned very well to use the right words we have to start judging people on their fruits absolutely i couldn't have said that better myself i think as people we we naturally tend towards looking for the man right whoever whoever he or she is we we're looking for for the the one person that's going to fix it all the yeah. problem is, is that those people who think that they can fix it all, well, they usually leave you, lead you into some sort of hell, right? I mean, let's not yeah. forget that that totalitarian, totalitarian dictatorships don't emerge out of good times, right? Every one of them <laughs> emerge out of a time of fear and hunger yeah. and deprivation. And yeah. so, if if we're if we're not anchored to principle we're open for all sorts of um, being led astray, right? It's back to trusting in the arm of flesh again, rather than being, being anchored by principles. I hear all the time people saying, you know, on, on our side, I'll I'll put that in quotes, that they'll, they'll support the police state to put down, you know, the, the other guy, even though, you know, when the police state's used against them, they're like really upset, but you know, when it's, it's, so we've got to be principled. We can't, if we don't want the police state used on us, we can't use the police state on others. It's just, we've got to be consistent. And it's it, like you said, it's, it's those hard times that, and then we make excuses and we say, well, yes, we have to, like I mentioned earlier with, with George Bush and, right. and how it's like, Oh man, he wouldn't do anything bad. Um, we, we, we've got to stick to that credit principle because now we have people in secret prisons because too many people you had, you had, you know, the, conservative talk radio host back in 2001 and 2002 saying you supported the the terrorists if you didn't support the patriot act and so we weren't principled and so we're suffering the consequences for it and the next time we sacrifice our principles for safety and security it will be a hundred times worse than patriot act ever dreamed of being absolutely and and i'll be honest ben i was a young father when that went down right i had been married since 95 and so 2001 what is that that's six years and i mean i got a two year i got a a six-year-old at home and a four-year-old at home and my wife's pregnant and i was nervous i mean i was i was darn nervous you know what Mm -hmm. what does the future hold and 
it really takes it really takes a disciplined position to be able to allow that fear to subside a little bit and say what's down the road right yeah. because like you said i'll admit i was that guy i was like george bush ain't gonna go dictator okay so let's say he doesn't who's the next guy that has that exactly. power? who's who who's gonna get it eventually yep and so yeah no i i agree with you 100 percent. we need to get past this idea of a cult of person excuse me a cult of personality and start looking at principle because they those cults of personality will always lead you astray always. right even if he's not the one that does it the guy you're following maybe it's not even the next guy it's leading away from the principles that's that's the problem right right exactly it's, and that's the whole thing that i've been talking about it's how the conspiracy gets their ultimate agenda through is by these small sacred you know these small changes small means and measures as Karl marx says that are economically insufficient meaning they are so small they can't make any difference right now but because you succumb to that small change, that one change leads to the next. It actually says that each change necessitates the next change. And so when you give up to one change that makes no difference, supposedly, that is just a violation of principle, but doesn't have a big impact, you are setting up yourself for the next change and the next change and the next change and until you're, you are Gulliver and you are, and you are tied down by the little you know, miniature people. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think part of that too is is this idea that we're we're constantly looking for things that feel normal and comfortable, right? Yeah. Um I, I know I talk to people sometimes about this, those who I think would be I'm selective on who I usually talk to about <laughs> this, right? Yeah. Because sometimes it it just doesn't make any difference and you can tell they're going to blow it off. But right. some of the ones I have talked to, they're like Oh, it's just the same as this has always been, right? It's not that much different than what it was in name your time. I don't know. Right. And I remember I read a book once on something called the normalcy bias. And they oh, actually yeah, that's, used oh, that's huge. They actually talked about it. it the story, the example they gave was a story from 9-11 where um people were turning around to go shut off their computers. Right. They were halfway down the stairwells and they were like, oh, I forgot to turn off my computer. <laughs> and and the psychologist was interested in it. You know, what causes this? Yeah. And it was the normalcy bias. It was this innate drive in us to return to some sort of normalcy yeah. and those small acts. So I think sometimes we we allow that that I don't know, that biological mechanism to take over which doesn't allow us to necessarily see the forest from the trees. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Let's, let's just say, let's use a hypothetical, you know, a guy in his mid thirties, right? Okay. Wife, kids, got a mortgage, has a decent job making money, but he's woken up to the, these facts, right? He's, he's, yeah. He's seeing something is wrong. Yeah. Where does he go? What does he do to start getting educated? Where would you tell him to start looking first? Yeah, building understanding is huge because there's a saying that I like a lot. It's education without action leads to, is to frustration. 
that's where I was when I first started waking up. I was like, yeah, okay. You know, these things are true, but what am I going to do about it? But also what we see a lot as well is action without education leads to fanaticism. You're making the wrong choice. You're going the wrong, you're going off the deep end. You're doing the wrong thing because you don't understand why things are the way they are. And so we built uh, two different things at our website for this very purpose. You go to Tree of Liberty Society, you hover over the learn tab and we have a section um, uh, called our boot camp where we have a six course class where we go into the not we go over the Constitution, but it's 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 our extremist liberty boot camp where we go into the principles of the why. I mentioned this earlier, so important for the history. Why did they put those things in the Constitution? Then we get into the kingdom of God. What were the principles behind that? The conspiracy internationally, as well as the conspiracy on the local level. And and then we get into solutions. What do we do about it? Because you, you have to have that foundation before you understand solutions. And then we also have a section in the learn in the on the learn tab um, where we have resources where we have not we have 12 different um I'm sorry, nine different areas um, from serial combinations, proper role of government, natural law, where you click on that and there are videos, there are articles, there are audio downloads for you to be able to just become immersed on that subject. So that way you can really just, you know, build that understanding um, at, at your own pace through reading, through listening, through viewing. And I think that's really the, the starting point. And then uh, members of Tree of Liberty Society, every week we have um online training where we go through and we go um, even more detail of what's what are some of the the you know the things coming down the line what is, what is the government you know what are these new documents that we've uncovered saying about what we can expect and then what we can do about it uh because that's that's key is once we have that understanding then the next thing is we really have to recognize that the people that are in power right now are illegitimate they're criminals and they're violating their oath of office. And so they are illegitimate. The things that are doing are illegal. And so we need to start treating them that way because the traditional solutions are what have brought us to the situation that we're in, where we think we're just going to vote harder, more, you know, we're going to vote earlier and more often. Or, you know, and so, you know, th those things that, that we traditionally think of as the solutions to the problem are, are actually a more modern uh, idea that has been brought forward to get us to maintain the status quo. We have to look at what and recognize what is it has it been that has actually led to restoring lost liberty. And that is people like the founding fathers saying, you know what, you are not legitimate. I am not going to obey you. If we really think about it, right? These guys, I mentioned earlier, the Bohemian Grove, these, these people that seek to rule over us, they go and they worship an owl God. And I'm gonna let them tell me how to raise my children and what they're gonna be taught in school. That's outrageous. That's insane. It's it's ludicrous to think that anybody would actually do that. And so when we understand what's going on, then we start to have that mindset of, I am I am a crazy person if I am going to let him tell me what to do. And so we then start, okay, I'm going to obey the law by following the Constitution and enforcing it. And we start to understand these things and ignoring and doing what the founding fathers said is to nullify. And then in in the the ability to do um, you know, small things is easy on our own, right? There's little small things that we can do to nullify without too much pushback. But when it starts to get more and more serious, we need to be able to join together. And so that's one of the things that we offer at Tree of Liberty is for people to be able to come together to help each other out, um, to be more effective in our ability to stand up for the Constitution, the, the principles that are enshrined in the Constitution. That's awesome. 
So if someone wanted to join the Tree of Liberty Society, is, is there a cost? Is there an annual membership? What, what do they have to do in order to join? So, you know, besides the training and our, we have in our membership portal, we have um, a lot of tools of the research documents that we've been able to maintain and put together and our previous trainings that you can do. And you access that by being a member and you just go to the join tab and, and there, there's a nominal cost involved that helps support our work and make sure that we can continue doing it and, and to grow. And, but most of our stuff, I'd say 95% of everything we, we produce is free on the website and on our YouTube channel and in our podcast. And so if you like what we want to do, you know, if you like it, um, just make sure that you're sharing what we're doing. But if you want to support us and make sure that we grow and become more effective and that we become, um, you know, that, that we're able to get more places and to be able to um, become more effective, then we invite you to become a member, support it, and be, receive the benefits of membership. Fantastic. So I got kind of a personal question for you. And again, okay. you, don't, you don't have to answer this. <laughs> what have you had to sacrifice in this work? What have been some of the personal costs to you? Yeah. So, you know, some of it I, I probably shouldn't get into on this podcast, but um, definitely attacks by people in government. Um, I used to live out in, you know, the country where my nearest neighbor was two miles away. And when we lived there, there was a state legislator that was very upset with the exposés that we were doing about him. And so him and his son, who's a sheriff in Beaver County, um, worked to find out, try to find out, hey, where does Ben live? Where, who does Ben work for? Finding out, try, using DMV records to find out that information illegally without a warrant. And uh, use it because he his son was a sheriff, he was able to get my county sheriff to put a, a DUI checkpoint blocking my driveway for an entire weekend. So I had to go through a DUI checkpoint to leave my house and to come home and um, harassment like that. And, and there's been more serious things than that, that probably shouldn't be on, on this podcast, but that gives you an example of some of the things that we've had to, you know, put my, uh, myself and my family under scrutiny and um, harassment and uh, even uh, persecution from, from those that wish to enslave us. Wow. What kind of blessings have you seen come from doing this? Beyond my wildest imaginations. One of, one of the things that I've had to deal with is that the, that, that ties into that is that is I've got a, uh, what's it? a blacklist on a, uh, like a, what's it called? A federal uh, criminal background. So if a company says, you know, do you want to work for me? You know, we just have to do this criminal background check, you, you know, and if you do a federal one, it goes through this and it comes back and says, I have a federal criminal background, even though I've never been arrested. And so when I filed a FOIA to find out why, why, what, what is my criminal background? Why am I being told that I have this criminal history when I don't? And so I'm not getting jobs. I couldn't get, you know, long, long time, you know, not able to, to get work because of this. And so I got back a letter from the FBI saying um, we can neither confirm nor deny because of national security reasons if or why you're on, why we're saying you have a criminal background. And so that's been a, a thing that I've had to face. But through 
through this whole thing, the Lord has always provided for me and my family. We've always had food. We've always had a place to stay, always had the ability to, to care for myself and my family. And uh, the Lord has filled every gap when didn't think it was possible, when it was literally impossible, the Lord filled the gap. You know, and, and I asked those two questions because I'm a big believer in knowing what you're getting into. Absolutely. Right? And I don't want anyone coming into this being a sunshine patriot, exactly. as Thomas Paine would say, right? Yep. And so you have to understand that, um, well, my grandfather was a pilot in World, in World War II. And he had this great saying, if you're not taking flack, you're not over the target. Yep. And you need to know that this is going to come. However, I know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Mm -hmm. The same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is very concerned with mankind's freedom. And if it was good enough for our fathers, our, our founding fathers, when they said, we will rely on the protection of divine providence, we can expect the same blessings to come our way. We can expect that same promise to still go forward. Because America is a covenanted land, right? Let's not yeah. let's not gloss that over. And so, if if we want that protection, we have to be willing to, you know, just as the founders did. What and it sounds like what you've had to do, which is place on the altar, you know, your uh, your uh, uh, your life, fortune, and sacred honor, right? That those those things place those on the altar and yeah. and go forward with a sense of boldness yeah yeah absolutely if and that i kind of alluded to that earlier you know we we have to realize that this isn't uh you know i just show up and hold a sign and and now all of a sudden everything's you know hunky-dory this is real it's serious the thing we is real and it's very serious and uh we have to recognize that coming in but also again like i said recognize that the lord fills the gap the lord brings us the blessings and provides everything that we need if we we show our faith first it's it's the the faith first and then the lord comes in and does what we can't do for ourselves absolutely you know one one of the things that that got me really involved in in what i'm doing now is this idea of what what were my kids or grandkids going to ask me about the times that we lived in? Right. Yeah. What did you do? And my worst fear is to say, well, I wore a mask and I hid behind a door. <laughs> right. Or I, I kind of pardon the expression. I pushed out. Right. Yeah. I didn't stand when, when it was time to stand. And I, I right. feel like, and, and it's, and, and again, I'm not just paying lip service here. I feel like, you've done a really good job in illustrating this is that sometimes you've got to put it all on the altar, mm -hmm. but I just can't see uh, a, a topic that is, or, or a cause that's more worthy than this. Cause 
look, I, I, I do believe Reagan said it best, right? Um, um, the world's hopes lie with America and America's hopes lie with us, right? And so we have to be willing to be a little loud and a little rowdy sometimes, not, not, yeah. not set crap on fire kind of rowdy, <laughs> but, you know, let your voice be heard a little bit. Yeah. How, how do you address, cause here's the other thing, right? Cause I'm definitely this guy. When, when we were talking earlier on the podcast and you said you're naturally kind of shy and reserved, yeah. I'm kind of the same way. Right. I, I tend to be like, just shut the door. So I don't have to see anybody else. <laughs> Right, go to a, you know, go to a party, and I'm the guy in the corner, and I, I'm like, I'm good over here. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I saw this shirt. It said, um, "I'm sorry, I'm late. I didn't want to be here." Exactly. I, like, I, I showed my wife. I was like, "That's that's the shirt I need." Exactly. And and yet I find myself behind this microphone. The, the you two find... guys that don't want to do that are the ones behind the mic. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, how do you? How would you tell somebody to get over that fear, right? Of of raising yeah. your voice. What what has helped you get past it? It's it's that idea of n- nobody else is 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 going to do it. I'm responsible for my salvation. I'm responsible. The Lord is going to hold me accountable for what I did and didn't do. DNC one thirty four. Lord holds us accountable for actions in relation to government, both in what laws are made and in how they are administered. I am held accountable. If there's, I have to do, I have to, you know, I have to put my big pants on, my big boy pants on and just do what the Lord wants me to do. Do I want the blessings or don't I? Yeah, I, I, I remember when I fired up this microphone for the first time and had no idea what I was doing. And I had on my first guest and it was about two minutes before I hit the record button. Where I sat there and I thought, do I really want to do this? Right? right? Do I really want to put myself out here like this? Right. Well, the answer was no, I don't want of to. Of course. Do right? Yeah. However, if I'm going to do this, let's do this with a certain sense of reckless abandon. Absolutely. Right? Just, and, and again, pardon the expression, go balls out. Don't don't hold anything yeah, back. Say, go balls to the walls, right? Right. Don't don't hold back. Just let it go. Yeah. And out of that springs those blessings we were talking about before. You're going to put yourself out there. You might as well do it right. Yeah. Don't don't hold back. And and I'm not going to lie to people. It is kind of spooky. Right. It's not something that that as as humans, I think we're innately born with that. I think some people are. But I think I think the guys who 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 are really going to make a difference are usually kind of reluctant, right? Cause they feel like they got better crap to do. Right. <laughs> or so, with my case, I think there's other people that could do a better job. Dude. I know there's somebody that can do a way better job. I say <laughs> it all the time. I'm a clown with a microphone. I got no business doing this, but at the end of the day, it was what I felt God had laid on my heart. Yeah. And while I'll never pretend to say that I know the mind and will of the almighty. I know him well enough that when something's laid on your heart, it's time to do it. And I would just say this, if you're listening to this podcast at this time, it's for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's for a reason. You don't find yourself here. And I'm not talking about my podcast in particular. I'm talking about 
this period in time. You don't find yourself here by right. accident. You yeah. have everything you need to get it done. Right. I, I find myself being oddly hopeful in weird ways because I'm naturally pessimistic and a little bit skeptical usually uh, across the board. Right. But there is a bit of hope in the sense that we're seeing the gatekeepers fall. Mm -hmm. And so these messages can go forward a little easier than what they ever could before. But the, 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 you know, 20 years ago, what we're doing right now couldn't happen. No. No. No, it, the, the tech wasn't there. The, the idea wasn't there. But somehow we're here now. The ability, yeah, to get the message out is impossible. It's ridiculous. We're in, the, we're in like a special time where the Lord has opened up a way for the message to get out. Can you imagine if you had to like print out pamphlets and, oh. and, and, and share the information your podcast out? That was the way to do it? It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, there's no way I would do it back then, right? I mean, look, yeah. I'll admit. You just you mentioned Pioneer Day. I'd have been like, "What's wrong with Missouri?" I mean, really, <laughs> you know, what's wrong with Illinois? I know they're trying to kill us, but <laughs> all of our crap's here anyway. Let's think this over a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. Like likewise, printing pamphlets used to be a pain of, oh, yeah. you know, extraordinary measures. We don't have that issue now. Yeah. I think now we have a a hard issue, right? Getting yeah, find, finding your strength and going. But yeah, well, ben, especially with the message right here in Utah, right? Both of us, you know, me, me going and saying that I don't agree with the person that most people in the city of Utah believe to be a prophet, and then you know, and then the topics that you cover—that's that's not something that's socially acceptable. No, 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 and and you know, it's it's funny. My wife and I had to have this conversation. What am I willing to suffer in order to do this? Right. Right. Um, am I willing to suffer losing my job? Am I willing to suffer maybe having to move? Am I willing to suffer? You name it. Right. And and the answer always came back. Yeah, because it's what God laid on my heart. Right. And and my wife received a testimony of it. So here we go. Right. Here, <laughs> here awesome. we go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's 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 definitely interesting times we live in. Ben, we've been at this now almost two hours. Oh, my goodness. So what do you want to say in conclusion? That I hope people will will recognize, you know, we're if they're listening to your podcast, I'm assuming that they have some kind of belief in the restoration and that uh, they believe that the that the cause of Christ is the cause of liberty and the cause of liberty is the cause of Christ. And that if we are going to stand with Christ, that we are going to do what we did to get a body in the first place. And that is to be actively engaged in the cause of defending agency against those that seek to destroy it. And I, you know, I, I hope that they will uh, choose to be involved through what I'm doing. But if they're, if not, if they find something else that the Lord is guiding them to, I, I hope that they are engaged in the cause of Christ to defend us in this time that is something that all of the ancient prophets saw and prophesied of and that they are engaged and they're a part of that and so that that we can be found together as we build zion and prepare for the return of the savior perfect that's awesome all right real quick what's the name of the book coming out in three weeks it will well uh, <laughs> it's to be determined but it is uh, how the international conspiracy has infiltrated your community 
perfect. And they find that where? Tree of Liberty Society. If you just uh, subscribe to our email list, you will get a free uh, PDF copy and you'll be notified when the print copies are available. Awesome. Ben, dude, it was awesome talking to you. I can't. Thanks so much for the invite. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed our conversation. And and let's not make this a one-time thing. As things continue to progress, and and I've said this to all my guests, and I mean it because I've already proven it. If there's something that comes up that you feel like needs to get out, you hit me up and I'll make, I'll make the time. And, and likewise, when I see certain things come up on my radar, I'll reach out to you and let's, 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 let's keep doing this. Cause I feel like it's important stuff. You can't talk about the gospel without talking about uh, liberty and individual freedom. So let's not make this a one-time thing. All right, bud. I look forward to it. All right. You're awesome. Everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.